Good morning. My name is Carrie Carpenter, and it's just so good to be with you here on this Easter Sunday church. We're going to read scripture out of John 20, 11 to 16. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Well, happy Easter. Thank you. I think I heard from two or three of you. <laughs> I appreciate your love for me. Happy Easter! All right, all right. So good to be with you today. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. If we haven't met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. If you're joining us in the venue, we welcome you. Happy Easter to you as well. If you're joining us at carneyefree.com, thank you for joining us online, whether it be here in central Nebraska or really all across our nation. People tune in, and we thank you for joining us there at carneyefree.com as well. We were not able to be here last Easter. I pray that never happens again. I, I preached uh, last Easter to a video camera, and you are so much more beautiful than that video camera. You look wonderful in your Easter best, especially these kids, their beautiful little dresses waiting on chocolate bunnies. You're welcome, sweetie. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> oh, man, so grateful for the kids in attendance here today, and uh, what a joy it is to be here for Easter. If you're a newcomer here, you haven't been around Carney Free for a while, or maybe this is your first time here, we extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Normally on a Sunday morning, we have a full slate of children's ministries for your kids of all ages, and normally 9.15, 11 o'clock services, both here and in the auditorium. Love to have you come back and join us as we journey through the Gospel of John, as Justine just noted in those announcements. But great to be here together for Easter service. Rabboni, it's you, teacher. Rabbi, like, could you imagine her utter glee in this moment? This is Mary Magdalene as she sees Jesus alive in the flesh, physical resurrection, and she cannot believe her eyes. She says to herself in this moment, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in there. You've risen. She didn't expect this. They really didn't expect this. Jesus told them this would happen, but it was as foreign a concept to them as it would be to us that a person would die, be buried, and raise again three days later. She saw. 
She was there at the cross. She saw Jesus' lifeless, limp body come down from those two huge wooden beams after he was speared in the side and after he was hung with nails. She saw where he was buried physically. She saw the Roman guards around the tomb. And here it is now on the third day, and she says, wow. He says, Mary, Mary, here I am. I have risen. Why are you crying? Have you forgotten what I promised? They would crucify me, but the grave would not hold me. It's the third day, and on the third day I rise. Friends, to stand here on Easter morning and to proclaim these truths, I know you've heard them again and again. I've told them again and again, but I cannot tell you how much they breathe new life into our souls today. I mean, we're weary. It's been a wearying, difficult, trying year for all of us. And we need now more than ever to be enlivened again by the hope and the reality of resurrection. He still lives. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross for stating plainly what he was. The Son of God, God in flesh, the King who came to earth. His final words from the cross were, it is finished. Which gets me wondering, like, what exactly does he mean it's finished? What exactly is finished? My March Madness bracket, that's for sure. (laughs) Maybe your New Year's resolutions, mine too, those are finished. But what did Jesus mean when he said it's finished? Like, you might be in the spot that, that you're asking the question, maybe you're a newcomer here, you've been away from church for a long time, maybe you're just asking the question, I get that Jesus lived a great life, okay, I get all that. I get he's a wonderful teacher, maybe he even rose far from the dead. But what does what he did way back in AD 33 have anything to do with my life in AD 2021? And what is his words, it is finished, have to do with my contemporary struggles, my challenges in my family, my frustrations with the way life is Today, this is what I want to tell you here, though, this morning. When Jesus said it is finished, what he means is that resurrection calms our hopeless despair and resurrection will silence our great fear. Here's the first one. Resurrection hope calms our great despair. Resurrection hope calms our great despair. You gotta understand that in the minds of Jesus' early followers, Friday was nothing but despair. There was nothing good about it. They did not call it Good Friday. For them, it was horrible Friday. They ran away into caves, both literally and metaphorically. They ran away at that hour. And they hid themselves. They thought that he was Messiah. They had put their hopes in him, and their hopes were dashed. Mary Magdalene, of course, was one of those earliest followers of Jesus. She went to the tomb for one reason. She went to mourn. Okay, she's there bringing her burial spices to hold on to the moment, to pay her respects to grieve a little longer. She's there with tulips and tears because the one that she thought was Savior was dead. You know the story. Mary was a social outcast. 
legend associates her in the following generations with prostitution. We don't know if that's true. That's how legend developed about her. The Gospels don't say that, but it's quite possible that she was a prostitute. What we do know from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that she was a social pariah because she was possessed by some kind of evil spirit. I don't know if you've ever been around someone that you just say, not metaphorically, you look at this person, the things that they say, their outbursts, the things that they do, I wonder if that person's out of their mind. I wonder if that person is, is actually crazy. Have, have you been around someone like that? I, I've been around a, a couple of those people, none of you. I, I've been around a couple of those people before, and I gotta tell you, those people are outcasts. People avoid those folks. Jesus ate Sunday dinner with those folks. Jesus put his arm around Mary's shoulder and he called her by name. He said, I, I care about you, Mary. And she became a follower of him. And I can assure you that Jesus was the only religious teacher that ever gave two red pennies about Mary. He delivered her of her spiritual oppression, and then he gave her back her dignity. And now he is in a tomb, and she is there crying in despair, believing that her Messiah is dead, and then he appears to her. She is overwhelmed in this moment with glee. Now, it doesn't mean that it ended all of her despair. She continued to experience much pain in life. She continued to be treated as a social outcast in many different ways, many different areas. But Jesus changed everything. He, he, he came and he changed her despair, overwhelmed her despair with his lasting hope. She would say, he knows my checkered past and he still calls me by name. I cannot hold on to him ultimately, but he holds on to me. I will continue to have losses in this life, but ultimately in Christ, I have the victory. When Jesus came, when he was resurrected from the dead, it did not end all of the disciples' despair, but it did calm their hopeless sense of despair, and it has the power to do the same thing for us as well. I tell you, the dominant emotion that I hear from people today as I interact with folks throughout the week, both at church and out in this broader community, in my office and elsewhere, is one of despair. It's somewhere in between like an indifferent apathy toward life because life has become such a grind. It's like, meh. Or this ugh. I got to deal with this again, ugh. This angry frustration or this apathy toward life. It's despair. One friend said to me, it just feels, Adrian, like there's been this low-hanging dark cloud over everything in my life for months. And it won't go away. Another one said, I know that I need to get back to church. I really want to be back in church. I don't see any legitimate reason for me not to be in church again, but I've lost motivation to be in church. It's meh. It's 
apathy. Somewhere in there is the dominant emotion that I hear from people again and again these days. I'm sure you've heard the same kinds of sentiments. I considered though this morning quoting a number of statistics related to self-harm, both in the United States and overseas. I decided not to do that because this is a family-oriented service. But I'm telling you, the statistics, as I've studied this matter over the past number of months, are sobering. There's a mental health crisis on our hands in America right now. The statistics are sobering related to self-harm. Now, I talk to some people and they'll say, that's because of the masks. Or that's because of the lockdowns, the restrictions. No, it isn't. I promise you it's not. The mass and the restrictions may have elevated what was already there. But what was already there, what can be right here, if I'm not careful, is this hopelessness related to the meaninglessness of life outside of the risen Christ. And so we need to tap in every day to the reality, the promise of the risen Christ. Well, we live in this time in between right now, friends. Theologically and historically, it's important. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to understand this today. Theologically and historically, we are a time in between in which the resurrection of Christ has already happened, which means he's conquered death, both for him and for us, but the ultimate coming again of Christ has not yet happened, in which he will conquer evil. And so we're in this time where death is conquered, but evil is not. And so we will continue to experience some despair. But resurrection is able to calm our despair. The hope of the resurrection is able to calm us because of this. We believe truly because of the resurrection that life wins over death, that hope wins over fear, that love wins over hate, that Jesus' victory will ultimately win over death. And that through the cauldron of suffering and tears, one day Jesus will indeed wipe away all of our tears just as he did for Mary Magdalene. Now, I, I want to give just a quick pastoral note on this. I, I don't want to sugarcoat in any way what anyone is feeling. Um, I can't give like a sugary jelly bean Easter message today. I'm sorry. And, and, and people are in a really despairing place as I, as I talk to folks. But if you're in that place, here's what we don't do at Carnegie Free. We don't sprinkle that with religious cliches. We don't just throw on a bunch of spiritual cliches and say, okay, feel better. Jesus rose, now feel better. We don't do that here. What we do is we come alongside people. We come shoulder to shoulder well with people. And if you're in that spot right now, that you're overwhelmed by the despair a hopeless despair of life right now, you gotta get into a group. You gotta get into a life group with a group of others that are in a similar spot or a recovery group of some kind. We have recovery groups and grief share groups and divorce care groups and blended family groups. We do all of those here because we take your suffering seriously just like our Lord and Savior Jesus did. Now my prayer this Easter morning over all of us even as we take it very seriously. My prayer for you, though, this morning goes like this. It comes from Romans chapter 15. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And because Christ lived, he gave the Holy Spirit to us, and he gives us his hope to overcome the darkness that we experience, and we can begin to overflow with hope a little bit more each and every day as we lean more and more into the power of the resurrection and the truth that God is with us and for us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. It feels at times like we are in Friday's despair or Saturday's ongoing doubt and disappointment. But you gotta remember that while 2020 and 2021 may be like Friday and Saturday, Sunday is coming, okay? I mean, it feels like 2021 is a continuous year with 2020. And it's like this ongoing, it's Friday to Saturday. We will live in Friday. We will live in Saturday. But a year is nothing but a moment to our Lord. And compared to the light of eternity, this year is nothing but a moment. And so we hold on to to these truths, that God is for us and he is with us and Sunday is coming to us. We may be in Saturday right now, but eventually Sunday is coming. Hold on to hope. Resurrection hope. Calms our greatest despairs. And then second, I hope you understand today that resurrection love silences our great fear. The the great fear underneath all of our very normal human fright, all of us experience some fright at times, and the great fear, I believe, underneath all of our human fright is the fear of death. We know it's there. It's knocking on every door. It's coming to all of us, and we have a great fear of death. And I believe one of the very best things that has come over this past year for all of us is we have become more aware of our mortality, that our lives are but a vapor, and that's actually a good thing. Because over the past decades, well, what's happened is we've been living on the easy button. And we've been living with our vast entertainment systems and we've been living in the midst of uh, comfort in such a way that we don't even see death anymore. Uh, people rarely die at homes these days. They now die mostly in hospitals. And so one of the good things, though, that has come from the constant news of pandemic over this past year is a greater awareness of the fact that our lives are but a vapor. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. And what God would want us all to ask is, what will come of me when I die? We try to suppress that question, but it remains on us in a way that it does not remain on the rest of God's creation because God has written eternity on our hearts. And most people I meet today, when confronted with that question, simply believe, well, I think that when I die, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and God will commend me and welcome me based on my good deeds. Many, many people believe that today. And it's almost like we will kind of weigh things on a scale that we say to ourselves, I've been a pretty good chap. I uh, am a good dad. I volunteer in my kids' school. I have coached a soccer team. I uh, have been faithful to my wife. I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And then they say, I really hope that these good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds of being kind of selfish at times and being quite prideful and having these fits of rage and emotional outbursts 
and negativity and judgmentalism at times and, and hopefully overcome all my parking violations. And we say to ourselves, I believe my goodness will outweigh my badness. I don't know about you, but that provokes fear for me. If it goes down like that, I go to my end with fear. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was uh, 17 years old, this is a true story. When I was 17 years old, I uh, was like many 17-year-old boys. I felt I was kind of invincible. And uh, I was pretty cocky and thought I could go do what I wanted without many repercussions. And I learned otherwise. Maybe because of that, I did not have a car of my own. I borrowed my parents' car to go places, and I lived in Broomfield, Colorado. And I remember on one particular Sunday evening, it was a beautiful evening, and I was in Broomfield, and I needed to drive about 20 miles away to another school function in another neighboring community. And I borrowed my parents' 1992 Ford Taurus Super Wagon. And that car was awesome. And I took it on the interstate, and it was a calm, warm, beautiful day, and there wasn't much traffic on the interstate that day. And the thought occurred to me, I wonder how fast this Ford Taurus super wagon can go. Don't you laugh at me, men. <laughs> you know you've been there. You've, you've probably done it too. Stop. And so I went ahead and tested how fast that Ford Taurus super wagon could go. And apparently it went faster than a Ford Taurus wagon could go, at least in my mind. Uh, it went faster than what the speedometer said it would do. And so when I was pulled over for a number that I will not repeat in this room, it's a family-oriented service, <laughs> the police officer looked me in the eyes and he gave me a lecture as I deserved, and after giving the lecture, he would not even give me a ticket. He simply told me I'd have to appear before the judge. You fast forward about a month, and I did appear before that judge, and I sat there in the audience for three hours as he, lit, as he listened to story after story and case after case from all of these other people with all of their other misdemeanors, and the very last person that he called to the stand was Adrian Boykin. And I came to the stand, and he began with, I see, Adrian, that you are on the honor roll. And I see that you volunteer with middle school students. And I see that you are the captain of the basketball team and the vice president of your class. And I'm thinking in that moment, the scales are going to tip in my favor. Things are looking pretty good here for me. At which point, he looked me in the eyes, and he asked, what were you thinking? And then he proceeded to give me the max. He gave me the max of community service and the max of fines that he could give me for what I did, and I deserved it. Parents, you can thank me after service for giving your kids a lesson on what not to do. <laughs> You're welcome, okay? I deserved it all. Why? Because he was a good judge. And good judges do not judge on the basis of the things you do right. They judge on the basis of the things that you've done wrong that got you in front of the judge. And friends, I do not want to stand before the audit of eternity 
wondering if God will perhaps judge me on the basis of good and somehow overlook my bad. And so what God does for us to help us to escape from this wicked scenario that I've just described is he chooses not to judge us on the basis of a scale. Friends, if I have to earn God's approval, then I go to my deathbed in fear. But God doesn't want us to live in fear. And so what he does is he gives us his approval and we simply receive it. Like this is what he did for Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene could not earn Jesus' approval. She received Jesus' approval and then she lived in faith out of that. And Jesus told her and Jesus told his disciples and he would tell us how. And it's a very simple verse that many of you know and it goes like this. God so loved the world. He so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die, but actually would live eternally with him. God so loves that whoever believes. It's not that God says, how many good things have you done and can it outweigh the bad things that you've done? It's God accepts us on the basis of trust in Jesus Christ our Lord We are accepted first, and then our behavior follows out of that acceptance. We are approved by God. His mercy overflows on us. His patience, his kindness comes to us. He gives his unconditional approval to us, and then out of that, we live in faith. Out of that, we live in trust. Out of that, we say, God, I want to follow you in everything. I want to do your will in everything. I don't seek to earn your approval. I cannot do it. I receive your approval, and I live far from that. This is the message of John 3.16. This is the message of Easter Sunday. And the next verse is every bit as powerful as the last one. Because God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. He sent his son into this world to save the world, to save you, to love you, to care for you, to overwhelm your fear of death with the love of God for all of eternity. The great news of Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus says, nope, your premise was wrong. And he simply tips over the scale. And he says, I judge you on the basis of Did you receive the love of God through my son, your savior, Jesus Christ? And God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. Friends, God loves the older person who shuffles down the sidewalk walking with a walker. He loves the newborn dozing in her mother's arms. He loves the unborn waiting to be born. He loves the strong and he loves the healthy. He loves the weak and the sick, the abandoned, the broken. He loves those from every people group, every race, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. God loves the self-disciplined and he loves the lazy. God loves liars and thieves and adulterers and prostitutes and pill poppers too. God loves hustlers and gangbangers and God even loves politicians. God loves the divorced. He loves the happily married. He loves the miserably married. He loves the single. He loves the widowed. He loves anyone that I have failed to mention. God loves you. 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 He does not condemn you. He does not condemn you. 
He does not condemn you. He doesn't cancel you. He doesn't cancel you. He doesn't cancel you. He loves you. He paid for you. He gave a sin to co- he gave a son to cover up all of your sin. He paid a debt to draw you near to him. He loves you forevermore. He proved it on Good Friday. He validates it on Easter Sunday. He conquered the grave such that we can have confidence placing our trust in him both now and forevermore. Hope is alive. Abundance and joy can still be ours. No matter what you are going through today, abundance and joy can still be ours. This is the message of Easter Sunday, that God pours his goodness over us. He wants his goodness to be all around us. The only question that remains is, do you believe? Do you believe in him as he is? And if you believe in him as he is, that will mean trusting what he has said about you, that you also, like me, have committed many trespasses that need to be forgiven by the judge of all eternity, the great king who loves you and who wants you. And the way you do that is simply to follow those words of John 3, 16 and 17, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever confesses, I believe in you as Lord and I believe in you as Savior and I will follow you. I receive your grace, not by my merit. I receive your grace and I commit myself to you. And he'll have you. He'll have you now. And the truth is, the resurrection, as you live in it more and more, it will slowly but surely overcome your great despairs. It'll calm your great despair. It'll enliven our hopes. And the resurrection love of Jesus silences our great fear about what happens on the other side. So here's how I'd like to finish. In your outline here today, you have a little handout, and it's an Easter response card. And I'd like to invite you to respond and you can do this online as well. There's a QR code or at carneyefree.com. There's a little mechanism there for you to respond. And you can let us know at carneyefree.com how you'd like us to pray for you. And we will not spam your inbox, I promise. But you may be feeling hopeless today. Would you let us know that? And we want to pray for you. And we'll get a prayer partner in touch with you this week if you'd like someone to pray with you. If you'd rather not, You can just let us know how we pray for you, and we'll do that. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by fear today. You could let us know that, and we'd love to pray for you. Get a prayer partner in touch with you and pray with you over that. Or maybe today you would say, based on what I have heard about the basic gospel message, what I just shared here, though, this morning is the gospel in a nutshell. It's the Christian message across 20 centuries And if you're saying, I have not embraced that, I have not actually believed that in my heart, I'm not talking about cognitive belief, but actually believed that in my heart and confessed my need for a great Savior, maybe today would be the day that God brought you to church for this very reason, that you would confess Christ as Lord today. And you would let us know that, and we would love to follow up with you to help you out on next steps. No pressure, of course, but God loves you. 
He desires you. Let us know how we can pray for you. And if you're ready to make a decision for Christ, you can check that box at the bottom. And then I'm going to invite someone to be the first person to leave their response card up on stage here as we close out with a beautiful song. We listen to a beautiful song together. We're just going to take a moment to respond together, to sit, to listen to the song, to write our prayer requests. You can put it down here on the stage. You can put the stage in the venue or in the boxes in the back of the venue. Again, you can take advantage of it online as well. But let's pray, and then we're going to listen to a beautiful special music together. Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you. Oh, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that we've experienced much of Friday, and we've experienced much of Saturday. We know their sobriety. We know their despair. We know their doubt well. But God, we want to live in Easter Sunday resurrection hope this morning. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do indeed live. It's a fact of history that you have conquered the grave. And because you live, you tell us that we may really live. Not just eke it out, but really live in Christ. And so I pray for any of my friends here today that are despairing of hope, that you would give them hope through the power of the resurrection, that light wins out over darkness, and love wins out over hate, and life wins out over death. Would you give them hope today? I pray for any that are struggling with fear at the prospect of illness or death or anything else. God, your love liberates us from fear. Your love frees us both for today and for all of eternity. May we rest in your great love and your approval of us today, not based on merit, but based on what Christ has done for us. And for any today who are contemplating even this moment, maybe today is the day that Jesus is beckoning you to him, that the Holy Spirit is whispering to you, you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. And maybe today you would simply follow me as I pray, Father, please forgive me of my trespasses. I admit that I've missed the mark in many ways. I cannot trust in myself. Would you please forgive me? Thank you for dying for me, Lord Jesus. I commit to following you. Thank you, God. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.